This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and episode two. Uh, oh, that's a good start, wasn't it? Hello and welcome to episode two hundred and nine of what most people think. And part of the reason I might have fucked up the very intro there was because I was out clubbing on Sunday. I did a bit of daytime raving. I should say that I was in bed by midnight. But I got to tell you, I'm recording this Tuesday morning. Emerging on a Monday with a hangover is a very I felt every second of my 46 years, and thank God today I've got a safe pair of hands co-hosting. It's the return of Matt Ford. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be back. So where did you go clubbing? So Brighton, on the beach event. So my favourite DJ of all time and producer, Eric Prids, was playing. Oh, brilliant. It was amazing. I mean, he played all the hits. And there is this weird thing now, because also The Who were playing in Brighton. But Eric Prids has sort of been around long enough that I'm sort of thinking... In 20 years, will what he's doing be the equivalent of these sad old bastards going to see The Who? And Hang on. I'm sure... I went to see The Who the other week. <laughs> I'm not a sad you're... old bastard. It was brilliant. You're a sad young bastard. I know. There's a difference. Uh, firstly, I love Eric Prids. I'm a favourite Eric Prids song. Is it Piano? Is that how it's pronounced? Yes, yeah. We use that at Forest a little bit in the pre-match build-up, and it creates a really good atmosphere. But secondly, I saw The Who for the first time ever the other week at the O2, and it's one of the best gigs I've ever been to for their performance. The, the atmosphere at the O2, I think, is routinely awful. But my God, Daltrey can still sing, and I would, I'd, I'd always wanted to see them. And I've become really obsessed with them. So we are not sad old bastards, Jeff. We're proper rock and roll fans. Well, this might be what perhaps keeps like the acts like The Who and Eric Prids relevant, is that because of the accessibility of music now, you know, you can stream it anywhere. They'll constantly be finding new audiences. So, um, you know, Eric Prids, there was a lot of people my age as well, but there, there was youngsters too. And and um, I say youngsters. That's yeah, but it is younger music, isn't it, Eric? But you're, you're probably the top end of the Prids family. No, I, I would say not, actually. I would say that I, I felt... I went to Parklife Festival earlier this year and I literally looked like I was there to pick up somebody. <laughs> I mean, not, not not like that. Like, give them a lift home, right. you know, like, like, like Dante. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! No, we don't want to have that kind of chat, given the year that we've had with uh, uh, public personalities. But, um, but yeah, yeah. But Eric Prids, I would say I was in the fucking median range, mate. It was uh, oh, cool. It was, it was reassuring. But you must have been like a spring chicken at the Who. I was. Yeah, I was. I was one of the youngest people there. But they are. I love the music. And you know what? I saw. I went to see the Rolling Stones a few years ago at Twickenham, and I just thought it's. And I must have been about thirty-five then, and I thought it's mad. That I could have seen the Rolling Stones at my age. It doesn't. It mm. doesn't make it. So then I thought, what am I doing mucking about not seeing all these slightly older acts? So then I saw McCartney at Glastonbury, out and John at Glastonbury, now seeing the Who, and I think that is incredible for someone who's born in 1982 to be able to, at, at my age, have seen those people, and they're phenomenal. I mean, I'm like anything else. You, I mean, Oasis are probably still the best thing I ever saw live, but I saw them in their pomp. 
So that's a bit different. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I saw that. I mean, I, 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 it's funny with people like yourself and Mark Nelson. Is is I, I don't dislike Oasis, but I'm aware that it's touchy ground. So <laughs> it, it's probably if we're starting the show positively. I mean, they were good, but I saw them at Nebworth um, after the Prodigy when they made the mistake oh. of having the Prodigy on before them, and they, the Prodigy juiced the crowd something chronic. It was really weird. We were all there. It was all about Oasis, and yet for the hour that the Prodigy were Do we sound like sad bastards right now? Can I just check, do a vibe oh, yeah. check with the, with the audience? Oh, yeah. We start, talk, started off talking about the Stones and... The... Yeah, but it's happy. It's also, if it's what makes you happy, and I just think, oh, fuck it. It's pointless pretending you're into stuff you're not into. It's far better to own the things you actually like. Uh, do you know what? I uh, On the back of that gig, I ordered... Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend's autobiographies. And mm. I've read Daltrey's in about five days. I've not read Townsend's yet because I don't want to read it on public transport. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read that while I'm at the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival. But Daltrey's book, what an amazing guy. You know, these are phenomenal people. And it's um I, I like getting obsessed with something very quickly and 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 really I've, I mean I've always loved the Who, but after mm. seeing them, I was like, I need to know more about them now. What a great little hobby to have, just to find there's out. There's plenty, the- yeah. I mean, there's plenty of back catalogue. I mean, the, the the funny thing is, is is essentially your rationale for seeing them now. You couldn't really tell them the honest truth if you met them backstage. Go, well, you're not you're not young anymore, and it feels like that with the. <laughs> This is the last chance saloon uh, to see a lot of you before you die. So um, it is incredible. And and I think it's funny as well with someone like Roger Daltrey, where you get these rock stars, Noel Gallagher included, Ian Brown included, where they've expressed opinions over the last few years, over things like lockdown and Brexit. And, and I sort of find it funny that people are surprised that front men of rock bands have sort of spicy opinions. You know, it, it, certainly with COVID restrictions, I thought if you're a rock and roll star... Someone telling you what to do is almost an automatic no-no, isn't it? Yeah, and also, like, there is always a variety of opinions on any subject. And, mm. you know, apart, some of it is generational. Um, they're probably fairly typical of blokes their age. And you're right, rock stars are their age. Also, I quite like it when I, when people I like have opinions that are different to mine. Well, like that's it. what you do so well uh, on uh, your podcast as well. Like I heard, I mean, it's such an interest. It's such a great podcast generally, but you had Philip Hammond on the other day, which, you know, I mean, there's not going to be a whole world of difference between you and him, but you just find out things. He's, he's a funny guy, isn't he, oh, Philip yes. Hammond? <laughs> you would never have guessed that Philip Hammond would be so funny. And he's got a really dry, withering sense of humour. It was great. I loved him. He's been one of my favourites, actually, because... You realise that he's someone who took politics correctly, very seriously, and dispatched mm. his duties in a serious way because he realised that being Chancellor and Foreign Secretary were big jobs that required a level of behaviour. doesn't mean he's not a funny guy. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a, another side to him that he didn't always show. Um, so it was a real lesson, really, that you know you might look at people in office and make presumptions about them, and often they are wrong, that, that there is a silly side or a funny side to people. Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Because sometimes people say, I remember about Theresa May, it was often said, oh, she's actually got a wicked sense of humour, which is normally code for once she said something funny and it surprised the shit out of everybody. I mean, I think I think that's that's generally what it means. But I, I think I think our spreadsheet field definitely had that going on. Um, so we will be talking about, um, obviously, fallout from the by-elections, whether or not the Tories are now completely played out, 
have Labour sealed the deal and something about the Lib Dems, probably. Um, I should uh, I should stress that my YouTube special is out now um, of my last tour, I Blame the Parents. That's on YouTube. And I understand not everybody can afford the Patreon and stuff, but you can log on. And even if you've seen it before, just stick it on in the background, put it on mute. All those adverts will play through and I'll get as much as 17p. Um, from from you watching that so that's a free way um, that you can uh, you can help old Jeff um, of course the 80 minute version the full version will still be available only to patrons and that will always be uh, exclusive to patrons and just keep 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 them peeled for the patron thing because uh, I will be changing the offer there and I'll be upgrading it so do stick around I always welcome new patrons Matt I don't know if you remember from before by taking the piss out of their name so yes it's a bit tricky. Obviously, first and foremost, is a new VIP Patreon. Welcome to the VIP lounge where you've probably got nicer toilets. That's usually yeah. the main thing, especially when you go to a gig. Have you ever paid for, for VIP extra access at a gig? And it's just basically yeah. you don't have to shit in a port is the Yeah, and it's like you get served a bit quicker at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> There's somewhere to sit. You get a pint quicker. That's it. And that is worth paying for, by the way. That is absolutely worth Well, the gigs worth that the you money. go to, I would imagine most people need that, really, somewhere to sit and... <laughs> um, VIP, we've just got Joe. So when we have a one-namer, we have to presume that Joe is working in a very uh, progressive establishment where she can't afford to be named, or it could be a bloke called Joe. Um, so what What kind of... Uh, maybe maybe Joe's like a um, uh, an undercover cop in Just Stop Oil. Is, that that, is there an E on the end or not? No, there's not an E on the end. So Joe would be female, female. then. Female. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Joe has infiltrated Just Stop Oil. Yeah, well, maybe that's what the J-O stands for. She's, she's, she's missed the S out of the middle. Um, I think Joe is... I think Joe. Let's just try and have a think here. She's female. She's secretive. She doesn't want to know... She doesn't want you to know her surname. She's into your sort of comedy. She's into your podcast. Yes, secretly. I mean, it might not be secretly, but no, I'd love right, to speculate yeah. that I'm still dangerous enough that people have to be incognito. I'm going to say... In her, I'm going to say mid forties, yep. forty to fifty. I'm going to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to say blonde hair. I'm going to say someone. <laughs> I'm. I reckon she's got a bit of a hippie about her. I think she's okay. one of those people that's broadly around the centre ground. Would be convinced one maybe hasn't made a mind up who to vote for next time. And I think, but she's doesn't like of, being told what to think. Crucially, that's the thing with Joe. Everyone knows that about Joe. Do not <laughs> impose your your view on Joe. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think she's got a really good house. I think she's probably got like an island in her kitchen. I think. Uh, I think <laughs> and a peninsula really... or just the island? Just just the island. And I think she's a, a really good all-rounder. I think she can basically do everything. I think she's pretty well-read, cultured, open-minded, mm. probably part of a book group. Um, yeah. She can buy and... a bit of medium pace. <laughs> Sorry, had to get the cricket gag in. Had Man. to get the cricket gag in. Absolutely. Oh, the less said about that, the better. I mean, obviously, it rained in Manchester. It is. It is a tricky one because I don't want to seem like a, a whinging pom, but um, it, I mean, it, it is problematic if the only time that you start discussing our approach to rain and reserve days is after we've lost the Ashes. It, it does seem like sour grapes, but I think that you know, with Test cricket battling against other sports it it does seem somewhat incongruous that there's no contingency it's mad and also i'm a newcomer to cricket i only got into it a few years ago so as someone who's new to the sport and, and who loves it the main thing i think is if you've bought a ticket to something mm. that's terrible like there should be like some contingency if you're able to actually watch the sport you've paid money for the idea that oh because it's always been like this that's part of it 
I, I agree that to some extent to some sort of conditions, but just a total washout mm. doesn't feel like a sport sporting way to end any competition, let, let alone one so prestigious and important. So is it that hard to just have an extra day? Or, I mean, I heard Andy Burnham on Test Match Special the other day saying we need more of these things in the North. Obviously not, because he pisses <laughs> yeah. it down. Just have, have them all in London, three at Lords and two at the Oval, or the other way around, because there's more atmosphere at the Oval. Yeah. And I said that, so maybe Trent Bridge, Nottingham's fine. Funny um, that, funny yeah, that. One, one yeah, in Nottingham. One in Nottingham, the, the second most rained out venue, incidentally. Two in two at Lords. Two, two at, at Lords. Lords. I mean, Lords. it's really fun. I've never seen an argument pivot so quickly from this is disgusting. There are no tests in the North Toe that we should literally build a wall just past <laughs> Edgebaston and around Edgebaston. Just have more Edgebaston. Uh, we got some new patrons. Uh, Richard Ledge. I think Richard's given himself a nickname there, so we can imagine Richard is uh, only goes on stag dudes that have t shirts. Uh, Richard <laughs> Legs. Uh, we've got Lewis Don. Lewis Don doesn't sound like a real name, or is that like. Are you some sort of like English mafia guy, like Don Luis? That's a <laughs> Just great a real... name, Luis Don. Or Louis... he's a Wimbledon fan. He could well be a Wimbledon fan. Of course, the season, the uh, the EFL League Two starts next Saturday. Next Saturday. We're, we've got such a Thank terrible God. first fixture. Uh, Grimsby away. No offence to Grimsby. Oh. Obviously, Lloyd, Lloyd Griffith. But just, just on the fixture list, Grimsby away. I mean, if you wanted almost a comedy unappetising fixture. And I know if Lloyd ever listens to this, Lloyd Griffiths, he'll get furious about this because he loves Grimsby. But, um, but it's listen, the seaside. I, it's the summertime. You can have some fish and chips. Yes. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. I mean, look, the first game of the end of the season is always great as a, as an away game. But, you know, it's Wrexham. Wrexham is the following week. So that that's now yeah. the that's now the big game in League Two. So we're me and my mates are going to that and uh, we'll all... Well, interestingly, the next person is called Ryan. Um, Ryan McGregor. We've got Ooh. Ryan McGregor here. I mean, that is Nurnairn. I mean, it's just screaming Nurnairn. Ryan yeah. McGregor. You're, you're a wee man there, Ryan. Ryan from Derry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, was he like Conor McGregor? Where's Conor McGregor from? Oh, yeah, he could be like... you got to imagine, you know what brothers are like? That it's often so chalk and cheese. So Ryan McGregor really hates the limelight. Um, absolute nerd. World of Warcraft. Yeah. Like, Has just... never worn a checked suit in his life. Would never wear a waistcoat <laughs> to a boxing match. Just wears normal clothes. Doesn't and throw just, bins in car parks. Doesn't throw bins in car parks. And he's just waiting to write his book. Uh, <laughs> patiently yeah. waiting to write his book and appear on uh, the US chat show circuit. Uh, David Domain, the, his talking point, so he always picks up on um, issues from the last show. He's actually picked up from a point from the Patreon only. So remember, if you are a patron, you'll get access to a monthly uh, Patreon only gig. And we were talking already about the by-elections, obviously, which you and I will come on to. But he said the Selby and Ainsley by-election was the biggest swing from Tory to Labour since 1945, which was a 24% uh, point swing. Uh, Somerset and Froome from the West Country constituency that went to the he calls them the limp dims, which is, I haven't heard that one before. Nice. Um, and also, he, he makes the point that, that uh, Frome, a lot of people call it Frome, but apparently it's got a rhyme Froome. with loom, Froome. Yeah, Froome, yeah. God, I mean, I bet you any money the people of Froome are so tedious about that. Like, whenever you do a gig in Froome, I bet the first thing they're waiting for you is, <laughs> to do is to say Froome wrong. It's, it's like that place in Oxfordshire, Tame. Have you ever gigged in Tame? Oh, yes, yeah. And what's the other one? There's Grooby in Leicestershire. Have you ever been there? I have not. 
It's written like Groby. And I think Engelbert Humperdinck lives around the corner. <laughs> it's fucking mad around there. Um, but yeah, there's there's places that... Also, why are you that bothered? Everyone gets it wrong. Maybe you just have to accept that the way it's written down is stupid. Yeah, you you need to change. Yeah. You need to change people of from, right? This is the will of the people. The, you know what's interesting around your neck of the woods? I think there's a lot of places like Milton Mowbray and Hib- Kibworth Harcourt. They just sound, I've always said they sound like American soap stars. They just sound <laughs> like, yeah, Milton Mowbray and Kibworth Harcourt. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. They do, yeah. Old B. Just Old B. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be a rapper, wouldn't he? <laughs> Old B would be a great name for a dog. Okay, uh, we're going to do a quick thank you and a fuck you. I'll do the thank you. Uh, I went to the Ventnor Fringe. I don't know if you've ever done it on the Isle of Wight, Matt. Have you ever done the Ventnor Fringe? Yeah, I have. I did it in a church. I did oh, it in wow. a church. And I met two very different couples there. I met a couple in their 60s that had never left the Isle of Wight. <laughs> Not even been to Southampton. They're like, we've got everything we need here. I thought that was mad. And then met another yeah. lovely couple. It was the night of the Manny Pacquiao um, Floyd Mayweather fight. That's how long ago it was. Mm. And um, they let me go around the house and watch it. What, that just sounds weird. Were they an older couple? Were they plying you a drink? Um, did you sniff the drink before you drank it? One yeah, of those? Yeah. I, I woke up in a skip. You woke up in a skip? No, it was great. They were really, obviously, at some point, you're like, oh, is this normal? And they were perfectly fine. So I've had a lovely time on the Isle of Wight. Did, did anything like that happen with you? Um, no, but I mean, Ventnor is the other side. And it's got it's weird. You know, they say geography is destiny, right? So Ventnor, yeah. it's very hard to access because it's on a steep sort of... There's not a cliff as such, but there's a very steep hill mount. I don't know what the geographical term is, but loads of trees. So the, the roads that go down to Ventnor basically keep doubling back on themselves because it's such a steep incline. And that's the only way you could get down there. So it meant apparently that in the 1800s, um, my publisher told me this because he, he's got a place out there, is that th- there was a long time where people in Ventnor were more likely to meet somebody from France than they were from the rest of the Isle of Wight. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I can't d- decide whether that's magic or tragic. Well, that's cool that you'd then be more diverse, or whether that just means you basically met no one. Yeah. I mean, if you just said them from England, you'd go, oh, right, that's really it. But from the rest of the Isle of Wight, you know, fucking pop your head up, lads. Do you know what Man. I mean? Let's just get out. And the and consequently, their Ventnor is weird. You know, it's a quite bohemian type place. And the people there like that. And they've got a campaign called Keep Ventnor Weird. <laughs> Not You know, like Keep Britain Tidy. That's so cool. The fuck you. You got anyone you want to dish out on, Matt? Lime bikes. I don't know if they're a problem where you live. They're mm. fucking everywhere. People are just abandoning these bikes in the middle of the street. Let's just explain what they are for the listener. Bikes that you can just hire through an app. I think Uber run them now. Okay. And I get the idea that, oh, it's good that people use bikes. So they're like the Boris bikes, but they're private, basically. And instead of Mm -hmm. having to go in those docks that are left all around London, people just leave them in the street. I mean, there's some parts of like, it's not even barricaded into your flat in, in some parts of London. You can't get down the street. It's just like a junkyard. It's like someone has just flight it off of Halfords across the road. Also, just leave it. It's the fact that people just leave them literally in the middle of the street. They don't even put them to one side. They don't even like put it up against the wall or the hedge. People are dicks. Some people, and this whole thing, obviously, like we're told. Where are you supposed to leave a a line bike? Where where, to the side? Just put it somewhere. Don't just like 
it's the way it's, it's the angles at which these people leave them. We're constantly told that cyclists are best, the best than the rest of us. I mean, this is like a, just a massive form of litter now. I would guess that the cycling community would distance themselves from the line bike community. I would well. say, they would see themselves as very different. They don't want to be dragged down. You know, like the sort of real IRA and then the IRA. They, they I mean, it's, it's kind, of, it's kind of telling that I've compared cyclists <laughs> to the IRA. Like you, you're terrible, but at least you're organised. Yeah, and it, it, well, they, you know, they, they they may well be an extreme element within the cycling community, but they are still I, members of the cycling community, and it is up to the cycling community, Jeff, to root these people out and hand them over to the authorities. Yeah, you're not being a grass. You're you're actually you're you're doing it for your you, the survival of your own community. I think um I think what it shows, and you're a very civic minded person, right? You like the idea of community and oh, people man. working together for a better future. Rules that we all Rules. abide by. Yeah, and I think that in those moments, I think what you see is just what people will do if they can get away with it. I think it's the same as when you go in a toilet on a train that somebody has fucking obliterated and oh, left. I, I know that really we should save like the worst custodial sentences for murder and, you know, like terrorism offences. But I just think I, I'd give somebody 10 years for that. Because I think if you if you can do that, if you can fucking pebble dash the wall in a, in a train toilet, what else are you capable of? And pissing all over, just rub their face in it. It doesn't even need to be custodial. It could just be like quite <laughs> like a restorative. Like your, parents, like your parents used to do with a kitten before yeah, we were told just, that that was actually very traumatising. Yeah, we can figure out who it is now. I mean, you'd figure out if you just walked up and down and looked every passenger in the eye. Although I do remember, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I love the image of you just going up and down the vestibule. Just you, yeah. no, you, no, definitely him. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, the people who. Um, don't flush after they've been to the toilet. Just flush it, for God's sake. Don't leave a mound of that stuff for someone else to find. <laughs> Good God. It's not even that, flush it. That was exactly what the fuck you is for. Okay, we're going to move on to talking about the uh, politics and the fallout from last week's by-elections. Okay, so the by-elections, three of them, a a hat-trick of by-elections. Labour won in Selby, convincingly. Uh, The Lib Dems won in Frome, deal with it, that's how we're saying it now. And then the Tories somehow held on uh, in Uxbridge. And and it was really interesting, isn't it, Matt, with with by-elections, is that especially it's quite rare that there's three on the same day. And that you really can just reach into it and sort of take whatever conclusion you want because via a combination of turnout, swing, and um, what, what's the word when people uh, could, could just to get the Tories out? What's the word when you vote? Oh, like tactical tactical voting. voting. Yeah, yeah. Tactical voting now. Uh, uh, and that's always been the way, isn't it? That there's a, you can take any metric out of it and, and help it prove your own theory. You can, but I, I think they all do show the Tories are fucked. <laughs> like the Tory vote is just collapsing. I mean, that's just true. Like they, sh- if you'd ever said to them, "You'll be grateful that you hung on to Uxbridge by a few hundred votes," they'd shit themselves. Yes, it was. They, they, they still lost. They are dying. Well, the they, and they lost. And their votes collapsing, and rightly so. I mean, it's not an ideological point. This party is not fit to govern. They fucked the country up. This country's worse now than it's been in my lifetime, and I'm livid about it. And they sort of pretend that we've all got to move on and pretend that these people aren't responsible. The country's in a terrible, terrible state. And this lot are sort of pretending that, oh, well, this is the way it goes. This is a result of multitudes of different decisions that have ruined this country, that have choked our economy, that have fucked our public services, that have pumped sewage into our rivers and seas. 
It didn't have to be like this. And and the only reason they kept winning was the Labour Party was more insane. And the mm. Labour Party is not more insane anymore. The Labour Party is coming to its senses and it's starting to win again. And even Tories. And, and uh, the thing that I really think about those by-elections is, I think Labour will win. I think there'll be some marginals where the Tories hold on. I think Labour are going to win bigger in some safe seats. Where mm. the Tory vote, it, the, I think people have totally underestimated how livid with the Tories, Tories are. Tory vote. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is what's been interested, you know, with me, obviously, you know, where I'm coming from. And obviously, I criticise them a lot on the podcast now. Yeah. And people sort of say, oh, is it a grift? Are you going the other way? I, go, I think actually being a Conservative voter who's furious with the t- Tories is actually a, like, a very incredibly common position. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I mean, is it? Is there any evidence it's a case of Conservative voters switching or staying at home? I think the um, vote is collapsing as well. No question the vote is collapsing. You know, you, you only need to see in, in Selby that basically it's just like <laughs> the Tory vote basically collapsed. But that is the story of elections. And, and it is about whether people... If, if your own supporters aren't prepared to vote for you, then you lose general elections. I mean, obviously, the only thing is whether people are ready to fully embrace Labour yet. And obviously, Uxbridge has its own unique um, ecosystem regarding ULES and things like that. But it is a it is a very important warning. And obviously, even without that, Labour are trying... To, Labour need a bigger swing than Blair got in, in 1997. Well, that... that yeah, a majority I mean, of one. Yeah, it's a swing of 12 for a majority of one. But the evidence is, is that that seems maybe more possible. I mean, you talk about Uxbridge, and there has been this phrase about... Uh, this talk of whether or not Keir is sealing the deal. I, I hope that we could just get a different phrase there because I don't know where you grew up, but for me, sealing the deal, it's not a, it's not an edifying mental image here of Keir sealing the deal. I don't think his facial expression would change during that act, but that's not really, really the point, I guess. It's just, it, it's got to be more, hasn't it, than voting against the Tories and voting for yeah. Labour. Is that, is, if we get to next year, say things have improved a bit, inflation's come down, maybe the, I think possibly the economy will be contracted more than, or, or certainly more sluggish than this year. But say it is, 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 has he done enough for people to sort of cross the Rubicon? I think he's done an incredible amount. I mean, the fact that you have to admire how quickly he's got Labour into a position where people are talking about them even being able to win the next election, because actually... Even being able to win the next election from last time is actually incredible. And it shows that he's a politician of great skill as an individual that actually... But, but, but what has he specifically done? It, it just feels like um, it feels like a sporting collapse. It feels like watching a cricket. So the Tories have just like gone from 100 for one to 160 all out. It doesn't, it, you know, and it doesn't feel like Labour bowled loads of great deliveries. It just felt like the Tories were like swinging for the boundary, getting stumped, treading on their own wicket. Yeah, but the Tories have been doing that for years and they still kept winning because the Labour Party was insane. If you look at the Tory party, basically from 2015 onwards, it's been in civil war with itself. It's been a disgrace of a government. It, it really has been so unruly and uh, mired in so many different scandals and just a, a total lack of delivery, let alone anything, just a total lack of achievement and, and an economy that is screwed because of people like Liz Truss and the maniacs that, were, that the Tory party allowed to put in charge of the country. That was like putting Corbyn in charge. It's absolutely unforgivable what she's done to people's mortgages and to the long-term damage of people's hopes and dreams. So the Tory party was mad anyway. Uh, but you, are you pinning all of that on end, given now where interest rates are now, given the fact that, you know, they, they basically had, had to go... Are you, are you pinning all of that on her? I mean, I know it happened very quickly. A huge amount of it is on her. A huge amount of it's on her. Of course it is. 
course it is. And we all know it. We all watched it happen. You watch the, you watch the economy tank overnight because of a zealot. But, but you know, so, so you know, like Labour sort of said, like, the toys have crashed the economy. You know, since then, we haven't had a recession and it's been anemic growth. Um, but... I, I don't know. I don't know if the public will really care about that. To be honest, I think that the public will care much more. Do, do the economy crashing is what the mortgage thing will feel like. Yeah, but I guess Labour will just continue to run with that line, even though it's not statistically true. Well, they did crash the economy. I mean, we are worse off because of Liz Truss. That is factually true. People's mortgages went up five hundred pounds a month because of Liz Truss. That is factually true. I mean, it doesn't matter whether we're technically in or out of recession. If you are six grand a year worse off because the mm. Tory Party is so indisciplined. It let an idiot run the economy, then I don't understand what comfort you get from, oh, we've got 0.7% growth instead of two quarters of negative. The the, the harm she has done to people's lives, and this isn't just about, oh, I've got to find a few quid. The holidays you can't have, the things you can't do for your kids. People's lives are short and they want to get on with it. And the Tories are meant to understand that. And they've robbed that from people. They've well, robbed a generation I... of people that, that that were trusting the party. So, And it's not just that the Tories have collapsed. Labour have fundamentally changed where they are because of Keir Starmer. That, you know, think of where Corbyn was on things like Russia. Imagine where he'd be now as leader mm. of the Labour Party on things like Russia and Ukraine. Um, on the economy, on crime, on not just internal Labour Party matters. People understand now that Keir Starmer has shifted the policy position of the Labour Party fundamentally to a centre-left position. This is a patriotic man who is tough on crime, has a record of being tough on crime. He's actually run an organisation that prosecuted terrorists. And all he never mentions that, though. He should, he should say that, Matt. He, he does, and he, and he should say it more. <laughs> and I think he's the antidote to all the problems you've got at the moment. Corruption, yeah. uh, incompetence. This is a man that is... Um, who genuinely believes in law and order? He so you think he's sort life. of like the the right man for 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 this for this time? I mean, there is this this kind of um, this problem about how people feel about him, which you know can be superficial, but it, it's massively influential in, in how people choose to vote. Let's get down to it. the voice. You know, the voice <laughs> is <laughs> is a problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes attempt to Keir Starmer, but I'm pretty sure I'm only doing an impression of you doing an impression. <laughs> Um, of of Keir Starmer, is it a case that you know when people say oh, he doesn't inspire me, uh, he doesn't, he's got a, a weird voice? That actually, when it comes to it, the British public, the level of um, poor conduct and lack of competence on the part of the Tories, that none of that will actually matter when it comes to a general election. I think a number of things about this. I think it, it's not unreal. It, you know, it's not unfair for people to want to be inspired by a political leader. That's like a natural instinct. But I think the danger is we've seen politics through the lens of entertainment for too long. And actually, yes, Donald Trump is entertaining and Boris Johnson was entertaining and all stuff like that. But the outcomes of these people weren't. They've made us poorer. Um, They misused public office in a way that led to them getting fixed penalty notices. In the end, we're worse off because of people like that. So in the end, Mm. what is entertaining about having to find an extra £6,000 for your mortgage? What's entertaining about the NHS being on its knees? What is entertaining about sewage? Being pumped into our rivers and seas. This is this is good stuff. And the thing is, Matt, people listening to this, if they had someone like you out saying this, you're saying it in a much better way than most Labour front benchers say this. I mean, if you look, for example, at this lad that won in Selby, um, you know, he's got a little bit of stick for being young. I don't give a fuck about the fact he's young. He just seemed like when he spoke to the cameras, he just seemed like sort of he had the voice of Peter Mandelson. It was just this weird (laughs) identity. I think he's a really impressive young man, and I'm glad that 
impressive, bright young people want to go into politics. And I think he's really impressive. I also think Keir Starmer's very impressive. And to come back to the point about his voice, I think at the next election, when you're doing those TV debates, I actually think Starmer resonates with the public more than Sunak does. And I actually think his character and his personality resonates more with where we are. And I think he has captured and will capture the... I think the national mood at the moment actually is one of dismay. Mm. Dismay at the state of our country, dismay at the state of everything, of our lives, our public services, our streets, the lot. And actually, what Starmer's really good at channeling is that sort of... And he's got the gritted teeth way of saying, the country's in a mess. And actually, that's how I feel. And it's the first time in ages a Labour leader has actually chimed with how I feel about things. I think there was a sense of dismay and kind of gritted teeth anger at what's happened. Whereas Sunak is kind of like... But all management, he talks to the public more like we're demotivated employees rather than citizens <laughs> who decide his face. You know, everything's great, right? And we're working really hard to turn it around. I mean, his, his first pledge, half inflation, he's not even control of. And now he's saying, well, it doesn't matter what the actual rate is. I think people want to know that we're working hard. You came up with that pledge. You're standing next to a sign that says it. Actually, I don't think people, I don't think the Tory party is appreciated that Richie Sunak actually is going to drive people mad when you get him in a... And I guarantee you, you're going to have those TV debates where members of the public are going to say to him, why do you keep grinning when the country is in such a state? <laughs> I think actually people are going to find him... I think when it, when that focus narrows and it's like, do you want this mm. guy to be prime minister or this guy? Yeah. Actually, Starmer's qualities will be, will be massively revealed. You're right, the focus on... Sunak. I mean, he, I do, do sort of think he seems like a guy that knows he's going to be prime minister for a very short bit of time and is going to enjoy it. He wants to have a laugh. <laughs> Plenty of stuff for the for the scrapbook. You know, make it's about making memories now. You know, like, <laughs> sitting there having tea with Biden. You know, and yeah. and and I think that there's an argument that some of the things that he's done um, might. The, he might be sort of seeding a legacy, you know, like prime ministers that uh, we might remember them well. There's been a lot of people who've claimed that recently that it might not be true of. Sunak, there's some stuff that he's done that, that could hold up. The problem he's got is, is you're right about the Malay in the country, is that I don't understand what is the coherent vision um, that they can present at, in, in 2024. I get what that roughly what Starmer's is going to be, as, as you know, there's been a lot said about his, how he's moved on principle and policy. But I just don't know what Sunak's going to say. I mean, what's the slogan? But Pl also, you know, you know the whole thing about Starmer ditching his promises? I don't think that bothers people. I think people realise that he made a load of promises before COVID and they are sick mm. of Labour leaders who haven't changed their mind for 50 years. And then one comes along and goes, I'm going to be pragmatic and move with the times. I think the public find that reassuring. And also, I don't think Sunak... Sunak's not just going to be judged on Sunak. I think this is a this is a juggernaut coming towards the Tory party. Where, bit, in a way, the last few elections have been a, a a referendum on the Labour Party. Really, it's been about keeping the Labour Party out for a lot of people. There's been a judgment deferred on the the disgrace of Boris Johnson, that the economic chaos of Liz Truss, and just whatever this insipid version of Toryism is that that Sunak's peddling. And I think he will face judgment at that ballot box for for basically all the things that have gone wrong in government. And it won't just be him. People will be saying, you lot, as a group of people, have shot mm -hmm. it. And I think that is... Labour still have to attract people in order to win. There's no question about that. And there's no question, I think, that people aren't there yet. And that is still like a, a work in progress. But I think the Sunak's problems go way beyond him. They go beyond a party... You know what? The Tory party doesn't even want the Tory party to win the next election. The only reason we had those three by-elections the other week... It's because one of them was obviously was a scandal. Two of them were just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like all the Boris well, Johnson people are just like pulling the ripcord. 
They're trying yeah, to I, make I do, the Tories I, lose. I mean, why should the public vote for a load of MPs that they think might not even last the Parliament? That might get. I mean, that's a fair point. One of the things I've been. Be, you're like, it's over. You, you've had your go and you blew it. <laughs> I think that. Well, one of the things I've been saying is that the, the if you were to psychoanalyze the Tory party over the last year and a half, you'd say that there's a subconscious desire to divest yourself of power, you know, like a, yeah. a you're booby trapping yourself. If, if the same thing sort of keeps happening, then then maybe you want more time for hobbies. You know, being in power I mean, is, is, is quite... It's quite a responsibility. It is, and I, I don't. Same with the SNP as well. Oh, I mean, you, if you look at the SNP on that basis, similar periods in office, and and sort of similar things happening. I just want to focus on, but the, the the kind of implication of that is that you're right. In a couple, in one case, there was a scandal. In another case, the guy had a, had an association with Boris Johnson and, and and the peers thing, which he wasn't included on. What it does mean is that when people just go right, fuck those guys, and don't really think too much about who they're electing, you know, a lot of people, you know, you you not included, you know, had questions about this Labour lad that's one in Selby and whether or not he's um, sort of representative of the Labour Party brand in the way that some people would hope. And then I don't know if you saw the Lib Dem MP that won in in Frome. Uh, I mean, oh my God, the interview that she had on Radio 4 was one of the worst car crashes I've ever heard, where the guy basically sort of said to her, um, so what do you think? He asked the most fucking standard Route 1 question of, like, what do you think about depravity in your area? She was like, oh, oh right, I gotcha, yeah, yeah, is that what this is? Yeah, hey, yeah, bring me in here, and you try and shoot me down. And No, I'm not, I'm not going to answer this. He's like, um, I really don't know what's happening here. I feel like a, it's a fair question to ask about your community. So you know how when the SNP just got won automatically in 2015, yeah. you had a lot of people come in that really weren't, you know, great candidates. Are we going to see that at the next election, that you're just going to get a lot of inexperienced MPs? Well, you look, you, you, you should want new MPs, um, but it, it's about the quality of them. And I think that you, the, the, the young care lad in One for Labour is an, clearly an impressive young man. Um, you know, you, you don't underestimate the fact that people just don't like the fact that Labour are back on the pitch and they'll, they'll find a way to shoot people down. Also, and I, 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 I haven't heard that interview with the Lib Dem candidate, in defence of by-election candidates, standing in a by-election is completely different standing at a general election. It is, you have got an entire national focus on one constituency and it is a lot for one individual, often who's never stood for office before to take on. And it is exhausting, it is emotional and even the most basic interview, when you, do you know what? It's like getting heckled at the end of an Edinburgh run. You just like, I don't have the patience. It's not now, mate. <laughs> Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? You haven't. Yeah. You've, like, you've actually lost your sense of humour as a professional comedian. And like, that's the closest it's thing. I can, and I've never stood for office, but I've seen it happen. You just like there, but for the grace of God. So, um, the crucial thing that's changed at the next election for Labour is obviously they are deselecting candidates that were not appropriate and not selecting candidates who weren't appropriate. I mean, the, the crucial thing that happened for both major parties um, was that they started selecting people that weren't good enough. And you see it now. You see a lot of the Red Wall Tory MPs. You're like, this is but, but is this, is this? I mean, appropriate? That, that could be a loaded word because, you know, if you talk about people aren't worried about, you know, Starmer's lack of principle, the way he's gone back or, or on certain policy pledges. There are a group of people that are worried about that. And that is the people on the the left or the hard left or well, whatever you want to call it. Call it. it. And they, they frame it as a lack of principle. I don't, think, I don't think anyone seriously thinks Keir Starmer's a man without principles. I think he's a man, actually, I think a lot of people actually find him to be a, a, quite a um, significant character of principle. Like, in a way, the danger sometimes with Labour people is they come across as too principled and they don't come across as normal in that way. The the hard left are always going to have a problem with Starmer. And I, I really don't think, sort of, slightly annoys me sometimes when I see media people who really should know better sort of repeating this. You're like, these are people 
that really shouldn't have been in the Labour Party in the first place, that are far too left-wing for it, and that are, are absolutely obsessed with but It's a left-wing in. party, Matt. That's what they it's would say. It's a centre-left party. And, it, it, and the, the left can only reach so far. You shouldn't have communists in there. Well, yeah, I mean, I would agree. With that. Do you know what I mean? So, just as the Tory party is a right-wing party, and you won't want to reach too far right in terms of the people that you had in there, and you know, um, obviously at times, sadly, that <laughs> you know, it's happened to both major parties that they've accepted people in because they've been weak. Um, in fact, it happens to all major parties who, who would be on the mainstream ideologically and in terms of their personal behaviour, and that's happened to all major parties in this country. Um, those people always want Labour to lose. It's not a legitimate debate. Most people in the Labour Party want Labour to win and they're really happy with Keir Starmer. The country is... is I mean, look at the way he's polling and look at the result in that by-election. I mean, he's getting the results of having changed the Labour Party and he's getting the results of being a good leader. It is interesting, actually, that, that somehow the discussion does always come back to Starmer. Like, what's he need to do? And you're right, the, 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 the numbers are there. I mean, it's a very fine margin, isn't it? If somehow there's 700 votes difference and it goes the other way, it probably wouldn't even be that. And, and Starmer wins in Uxbridge as well. I, I think there's no... This this conversation isn't really happening. And and that's the thing, I suppose, for people to try and work out, is to what degree is Ulez a factor in Uxbridge? Also wondering, in London and in and around London, what we forget there is there's so many uh, Labour-run councils there and that um, uh, Sadiq is now heading for a third term. Labour is sort of the establishment now yeah. uh, in and around London. And there is a chance that with Sadiq, I mean, fuck that, that guy. I find it incredible with him. If you, have you ever asked people that are passionate about voting for him to name something good that he's done in London, something specific, rather than, I don't know, blurring out a fucking cake on an advert on the tube or, you know, making a stance or... Um, no, I, there's nothing significant. As you'd say about Ken Livingstone and Boris that they both had legacy moments. He's, he, has he had anything? I mean, I'm open to be persuaded, but well, he didn't seem to. Obviously, he would say the expansion of ULEZ. He, he would point to a number of things. I mean, I just think anything people like. What? Um, well, some people like it, um, but it's. I think the problem he's got is I think his political instincts are fundamentally different to those two people. Is that I think mm. his political instincts are to be a bit quieter. Whereas I think if you put yourself forward for an office that's basically a figurehead, I think that requires a level of constant communication with the public. And uh, I think he's done it in a different way. And I don't know, my, my instinct would always be to be out there, to use that platform of the mayoralty or of Downing Street or whatever it is to, to create a fuss, to get things changed. Now, um, well, he does, you know, when they opened the Nightingales, he was there, wasn't he? Like, hey, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll stand next to a fucking rainbow any day of the week, but <laughs> the oh, moment like he's rainbows. gone, he's like, yeah. yeah, but the moment he's gone, it's where, you know, Tory cutbacks couldn't afford the rainbow, the pot of gold is no longer there. <laughs> Okay, so that is Matt's uh, political take there. That's a very forthright and clear-headed analysis of what's going on. Obviously, I'm, I'd imagine some of you will have reactions, so email in what most people think UK at gmail.com. Okay, just a reminder that my book is coming out in the middle of September, and I haven't... I mean, I just keep saying to you, oh, please buy it, but I haven't really fucking told you what it is. It's called The British Bloke Decoded, and among other things, Matt, I'm going to be launching a defence of the phrase man up. You know, you know oh, me, I always yeah. like to... Do the thing that's controversial, but not really controversial once you get outside certain places. Uh, also be explaining why banter is, is valuable and uh, why why women should always send birthday cards for um, their partner's relatives uh, or, or not. In fact, that one's probably more of an open debate. So it, it's a book really where, it, I mean, it's supposed to be lighthearted, but there's definitely some stuff in it where, you know, when you imagine what the review will be 
And if someone hates it, there, there's definitely stuff there for them to get upset upset about. Because I guess that's the point of if you're a conservative in a way, you sort of see the world as it is, not as you wish it to be. So that does mean describing certain gender dynamics between men and women in a way that's not that edifying, you know. So I, I don't care what men and women should do. What I'm saying is this is how it this is how it is between us. And there's one there's one chapter called uh, Pink Job Blue, Pink Jobs Blue Jobs, where I pick up on Theresa May's idea that there are pink jobs and blue jobs, and then take it to to quite the extreme. Sounds brilliant. Yeah, well, enjoy the backlash. You know, enjoy the backlash. And of course, you are going to be up in Edinburgh. Um, you're back up doing a full run this month, so that'll be from the third to the yes, from the second to the twenty seventh, um, with uh, my new stand up show, Inside Number Ten, which is a play on the um, Inside Number Nine. Inside number nine. Well, you know what? Let's use the next section of the show to chat about what you're going to be discussing in the show. Well, that's very kind. Can I just ask you about the thing you said about your mm. book there? What was the thing about birthday cards? Uh, well, just an observation that I've made is that in relationships, quite often, uh, the woman will end up sending birthday cards and basically organising the social life for the man that they're with. Do you know what? I, I, in my relationship, not that um, my wife doesn't do that, but I, I would say I do more of that. I would say I'm the Sorry, person man, she's not listening. It's, you're good, man. She's not listening. It's cool. No, 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 it's cool. I, I, do, I remember <laughs> birthdays, and I, send, I will often send things on behalf of both of us. Fucking millennials, mate. See, they got to <laughs> you. They... <laughs> Is that a bad... I, do you know what? I just... No, no. I, I, I think, actually, I think in the end, I sort of come down. I, I, I think the main thing is, right, I think one of the great things about being a bloke is one of the pillars of blokiness is take responsibility for your own shit, right? I think that's what, something men can be quite good at. So, therefore, in the end, the argument that I suppose I'm making is send your own fucking birthday cards, you know? And, and, and it's, it's slightly a self-preservation oh, thing. is because... Eventually, if she does leave you or you're on your own, you're just, if you spent like fucking 40 years not remembering anybody's birthday, nobody will remember yours. So it's it's more, it's actually, in a classic manoeuvre of blokiness, it comes down to selfishness. You know what I also, the thing, thing, I mean, the two things I think that really come across when I talk about these things with my wife is temperature that I think in general men would prefer to have the, Aircon on, and women prefer to be yeah, warm. Like a bit cooler. Yeah, yeah. like the, the temperature at which she showers. It's like, I mean, it would like remove graffiti. It's so um, yeah. Hot. And then when I think, in a way, blokes are less passive aggressive. I think men are just more direct. And if someone, is, if you're on a night out and one of your number is either saying something daft or that you disagree with, you just go, what the "Fuck you, on about." Yeah. Whereas I'm, uh, maybe it could just be a French group or whatever, but I think I get the sense. No, no, I, I, I think always... you're right. Women, well, women are more, more agreeable, and I think that the legacy, of, like for for example, one of the examples that I give is is, is if you're on a stag do WhatsApp group and you know a, a group of people haven't paid, and you'll just literally in full caps lock go, "You fucking assholes, put the money in. Why should I pay for you twats to go paintballing?" Right. <laughs> um, and then if if you're on a female one, if you were to go, "What, what you silly bitches? Where's my fucking money?" I mean, that is. That's uh, that is. <laughs> I think that the equivalent uh, that is several months of conflict. Oh, yeah. I know. Well, Matt was not complicit in that sentence. No. All right, let's move on. Most 
so you're doing a, a full run at Edinburgh Fringe, as we just said. And um, I just, as well as doing that, I think you, you, you're doing the political party, doing a couple of specials there. As I well. am. Thank you so much. On the, um, I'm doing three. On the 8th of August, my guest is Hamza Youssef, the First Minister of Scotland. On the 18th of August, my guest is Angela Rayner, the Deputy Leader of the Labour Party. And on the 21st of August, my guest is Kate Forbes, who almost became the First Minister of Scotland. And you have to sort of ask yourself, had the arrest of Nicola Sturgeon happened at a different time, mm. would Kate Forbes be First Minister now? So three um, wonderful guests, um, as well as the um, the stand-up show that I'm taking up there, which sort of... I take the piss out of all parties, and I don't want... Um, the, you know, the points I'm making about the Tory party aren't ideological. It, it's just that their, their discipline has gone. And I think one of the things that drove me mad... I mean, I'm a Labour person who hasn't voted Labour at a general election for a while now. Because the the side that I was on went crackers, and I, I couldn't reward it. You know, it was appalling what happened mm. to it. And I think there's been a general decay in the state of our politics. Now, obviously... The stand-up show is a lighter, um, you know, it's basically just a load of impressions taking the mick out of everyone, um, including Keir Starmer and, uh, you know, everyone else. Um, so I don't want people to think that I'm just sort of anti-Tory. It's just that I can't believe, you know, it's just a sort of dismay. Yeah, no, you do have to call it where it, you, you see know. it. Yeah, and I just think... But, but the, I think that we've both moved over the years. I think that I was probably more partisan a few years ago, whereas now it's sort of more plague on all your houses. I think it'd be weird not to sort of move your sort of political dial from time to time. Um, one thing I think that's interesting at the moment is is that I, I actually got very weary of talking about politics during the Johnson-Corbyn era because it wasn't like I didn't know what extra to say. It was just that people, it was so tribal. It was it was more of a challenge. You know, you, you're always playing perhaps to just one side of the room. Is it easier? I guess this is sort of a rhetorical question slightly, but given that, that Sunak and Starmer are less divisive, is it easier to get laughs now people aren't as emotionally invested either way. Obviously, there's a lot of antipathy towards the Tories, but it's not like it was during the white heat of the Brexit years. No. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I've never, I, I've always found that on the on the whole, doing political stuff is really good fun. I think there's something really cathartic about taking the piss out of the people that run things and mm. taking the piss out of all sides and like people coming knowing that, oh, you might be taking the mick out of the Tories now, but I know there's a Labour section. I know you're going to do a bit on the SNP and like that sort of sense of fairness and just how fun it is to even laugh at your own side. I think that's always been there. The, the only issues I ever had was um, there, were partic- there were periods where <laughs> when I would then have a go at Corbyn that people would <laughs> walk, some people would walk out and, and mm. couldn't handle it. And there was a period of time where that was true of the SNP as well, that they expect you to take the mick out of the government not the Scottish government, it turned out, some of them. <laughs> but most people can laugh at themselves. I would stress that, including people on the hard left of the Labour Party. But um, there was always a period where, w- w- then when the Corbyn section came, that people would go, oh, no, you can't. Why are you taking the mic out of Jeremy? He's trying to Jeremy, make the world better. He's... Like, one, he's not. And two... Well, I, I used to have a joke. No, I know, exactly what you, I know exactly what you mean about the SNP. So I used to have a line where I'd do a bit about Nicola... And I'd say, at this point, I'm guessing that a lot of you came to the show thinking that you wanted to hear her satirise, but now I'm doing it. You're going, maybe not from him. <laughs> and I do think an English bloke standing on stage in Scotland, now the, the temperature might be you know slightly different now, given what's happened with the SNP. And, and I do think that there's been a sea change up there in terms of people going, oh yeah, they are the government and they are the establishment. They have been in power. And I think, you know, but I'd love to come to the show that you do with Hamza Yusuf, because I do quite warm to the guy. But he's 
fucking chaotic. And um, and he does have the look of somebody that just did not expect to be doing a thing. Like, quite clearly, like, fucking hell, how the fuck am I a leader of this party? Shit! I mean, it's, it is important in, um, whether I would vote for people or not, he's a good sport. And I think if you're he doing a show it, yeah. where you're um, interviewing someone and it's basically a chat show, you want someone who's going to be a good guest. And... Um, you know, throughout the history of the show, probably most of the people I've had on are people that I wouldn't vote for. And they've been some of the best episodes because actually, if you care about politics, you've still got a lot in common with that person. And and, and I do respect mm. anyone who stands for election, gets elected, becomes a leader of a country or a party. It's not easy. It looks hard. I don't really envy them it. Um, and I'm always very grateful that they're prepared to come and talk to me it, usually in quite an open and candid way about the reality of that experience. So I always respect people who come on and, you know, he's still got, there's still things about him to admire, even, you know, regardless of my political differences with him and, and of any guests. So I think it's, um, he's a tonal shift from Sturgeon as well. You know, I, I think she was someone who couldn't understand why people hadn't voted for independence or for her party. Whereas Hamza Yusuf seems to at least give the impression that, he, he might be able to understand why people don't. No, I mean, I spoke about this with Sturgeon. I did a panel chat with her um, last year and um, the sycophancy of people around her, I guess over time it does um, affect your perception of yourself. I've never seen it with a political figure, anyone like Boris or, or Corbyn or, or anybody like a sort of her, like people literally just wanted to sort of, you know, take take the knee almost, you know, to in, in a sort of more... Game of Thrones, bend the knee in a Game of Thrones type way um, to her. So, I mean, it is, she, I mean, she was a huge looming character. I mean, it makes me think when you talk about, you know, you can do impressions of people, you can characterize them. They say Sunak's, uh, Starmer's voice is a problem, but at least we know what he sounds like, right? And, and Sunak has quite a strong brand. I was thinking about Ed Davey. I think maybe the biggest problem for Ed Davey is no one knows what the fuck he sounds like. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you go, take the piss out of Ed Davey, you go, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he just does look, you know, in the office when they have the management consultants come into Worm, Wernham Hogg, he looks like the archetypal extra who plays a management consultant. I mean, have you have you got any handles on, on Ed? I mean, because he, he might become a more important figure next year. He might. And and they, paradoxically, the, the Lib Dems do well when Labour do well. So partly because of tactical voting. Um, mm. And the only thing that really strikes me, if you watch him, the way his face moves, he, he he moves. You know, Morrissey has that kind of... They almost look quite similar. They've got those big eyes. They have a sort of natural grimace. And their, their faces almost like quiver at the wrong point. And, and next time you watch Ed Davey, he really reminds me of Morrissey. He's got a kind of grimacing, quite handsome fella, actually, to be fair to Ed Davey. And he's lost a bit of timber. He's looking good. But really, yeah, I, I haven't even attempted an impersonation of him yet, because mainly because people wouldn't know what he sounded like. So what would be the point in doing that homework if it's not going to be on the exam? I mean, there's one last part I wanted desperately to get on to talk about the Great British Scandal. I'd, I'd love to do that next time you come on. I'd always oh, love to Jeff, have you back you're, you're regularly. such a kind host. It is it is a brilliant podcast. I defy you not to binge the fuck out. I've done it. I've done that thing of binging it so hard. I'm now pissed off with myself. Um, that there. And if you want to start anywhere, and I'm sure that you've had this before, is I'd start with the canoe man. Oh man, uh, thing about, about the guy that what was his name again? The guy that faked his own death John in, in the northeast. 
John Darwin, just start there and 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 then let me know how it goes. But I, there's one there's one like political point that, that I wanted um, to share with you because obviously you know you are more overtly a political comic. I sort of there's always a component of that in mind. I do think it's been the best show in town for a long time now. Politics, it's been offering up storylines and and I know I shouldn't see it like this, but I do. Um, it, and I was sort of wondering, you know, because it it feels it always feels very short termist. That's the way both parties have been operating for a long time now. I just wonder, we always talk about social media and the impact uh, that that's had on politics. I think rolling news is underestimated because that became more of a thing during Labour. And that constant sense of firefighting yeah. that, that rolling news creates, then you put social media in with it. And, and I wonder if you, it's going to be very hard. A lot of people think it's going to be very different with Labour. I don't know. Probably more competence, better conduct, at least for a while. How hard is it? For, for people to not just address the fucking first thing in their inbox now and have a long-term vision. Well, I think you, um, I think to be fair to him, you know, people slightly roll their eyes when he talks about these five missions, but like having a sense of like a long-term strategy in each policy area is really refreshing, even if the public don't find it that exciting. The idea that actually we're not going to be short-term is we're going to have a long-term view that, and, and, and each one has a kind of value behind it as well as measurable you know yardstick i think they're really he's really thought about how you make government work which i think is impressive secondly i think it is about attitude and what's really good about him is he doesn't get involved in all the culture war nonsense he's got no time for it he clearly finds it wearing and i think again that's actually where most people are even people who are very online find it exhausting and actually i think he Mm. chimes with the sense of the british public that What's it even for? You know, social media still has many great strengths and and certainly in our line of work, it can really help you. um, Let people know what stuff you're doing and it's good for making friends and finding community. There's a whole load of it that's really good. From a political point of view, sometimes you just have to ignore it. And and actually the leader in the modern era that I really admired in this regard was David Cameron, was firstly Twitter isn't Britain and he was absolutely right. But just in other Mm. ways... He didn't always sack cabinet ministers when the public were calling for it or even members of his own party. He let people stay in briefs for a prolonged period of time to to gain a level of competence and expertise. And also just from day one said, I'm not going to be blown off course in that way. And I think Keir Starmer's quite similar. I don't think, just think he basically will ignore it. I mean, you have to obviously have to be aware of what people are saying, but it's how you react to it, which is crucial. And I just think he's more of a, more of a considered decision maker. I don't think he'll get, buffeted in a way and in a way i think that's where most people want their politicians to be so online noise i mean you see it twitter obviously skews heavily to the left and if you go on mm. twitter you'd, you'd have a view of keir starmer that obviously isn't borne out by those by-election results isn't borne out by any of the polling i mean you know sometimes with these things i actually think you can trust your own instincts on this stuff a lot of the time if you just take out all the noise and you just watch keir starmer on telly you think does he feel like a sensible bloke would I be fairly reassured if you ran the country? Yes, I would. I've, you know, same with David Cameron. Same with Theresa May to an extent. John Major. Tony Blair. You're like, you, you, your sort of instincts on these things tend to be quite good. Jeremy Corbyn, absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? Like the, Boris Johnson, clearly unsuitable. Like Liz Truss, clearly unsuitable. Like your, your natural human instincts as a British citizen, I think, are, are, are tend to be like your best way of understanding how the country's going to go for something if you take everything else out of it and i just think really when it comes down to it all the noise i think is kind of a distraction he's actually a really impressive bloke and i think people kind of tune into that a bit is it going to be that the british public essentially would have a period like where they dated a bad boy and their next partner will might not be sexy in the same way but um 
but you know bills will get paid I mean, <laughs> also I, I i think he is good looking got good haircut he's got massive he's hands He's got massive hands. And I think that's all. There's always a part of you that goes, that's a real man. I've got tiny, yeah, no, frosty little yeah. hands. You're like, what? If he shook you by the hand, you'd know about it. But he's also not tall. I think that that's been missed as well yeah. with all the talk about Sunak. I mean, him and Boris and Sunak were all fairly short guys. I think that, I do think he's not bad looking. I do think that it does worry me how much he's aged in three years of being a leader. Yeah. He does not look, I mean, if you look at photos, honestly, from even when he fought the leadership campaign, uh, you, I, I don't know if he's got as much time for five aside. Is that cruel? Is that cruel to say? <laughs> you, don't... <laughs> you, know, you know what I do think, actually, there's almost 20 years between the two of them, but you wouldn't necessarily yeah. guess it to look at them. No, no. I mean, it is, it is funny. I mean, with, with, with Starmer, he's, he is a, he's, he's a straight white guy and he's, he's a boomer. And I, I think if, if, Tories, if Tories want to win back the young vote, they, get, they just, OK, boomer, that should, every time like, that should be their campaign. Just have him start a sentence, then just cut him off with OK. You know what, I, what I also like about him is, he's, it's just a small thing. And I think he's just being himself. He's he, open about the fact that he likes a pint. I think that's, you know what, drinking has kind of become like a a bad thing. And like, I think it's good that people are reassessing their relationship with alcohol. And I think it's really good. I've got so many friends who have just given up and I I find it so impressive. Um, But for people who don't need to give it up or don't need to cut down, you know, I get a lot of pleasure from it and I really enjoy it. And there's a a slight and there's always been a slight snobbery about beer. And, you know, Mm. we're both working class fellows. We're both very proud of it. And it's, it's a big part of our identity. Beer in football is basically seen as um, delinquent behaviour. And, oh, you're one of those guys here. You're a bloke. Mm. You like a pint in a game of football. You're like, it's brilliant. And I love the fact that he's well, like... Yeah, there's a reason I things like kicking are kicking a ball about. I like going to Arsenal. I like having a few beers. And I, 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 I think there's like an honesty about that that I really like. I, well, it's interesting. In the book that I've written, there's a chapter trying to explain why we love lager so much. And one of the things, it's a really good fact to... Um, to trot out just before we go is ask somebody what the best selling lager is uh, in, in Britain today and, and they'll all be like, if they're very metropolitan liberal elite type they'll be like oh neck oil punk oh, IPA or there you go is it Carly? Like, you, you, you understand because you, people are only thinking of pubs in city centres they're not thinking of the shit and doghouse in fucking <laughs> East Derby or whatever, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not drinking. They're, they're not. They're not drinking fucking neck oil in there, are they? You know. So, uh, so listen. Well, as as ever, you know what I mean. You have just great instincts uh, for politics, and uh, even you know, even more so for comedy. So, I'd oh, recommend man. everybody check out your podcast. Go and see you at the um, Edinburgh Fringe, and I would imagine that I, the, the chat with, I mean, the chat with Hamza and, and Angela Rain, I would say, would be very entertaining and funny. I'd imagine that the chat with Kate Forbes could be really fucking intriguing. So all of of those oh, cheers, are well mate. worth checking out. Are you up there? Uh, and Matt Fort, I'm going to be up there from the 14th to the 27th. Great. Lightweight. Let's go for a pint. Yes. We have pint of Carlin. Pint of Carlin. Pint of Tenants. <laughs> I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't drink that shit, mate. I'm on the fucking neck oil. Uh, listen, Matt Ford, thanks very much for appearing on What Most People Think. Oh, pleasure. I will be back next week. I am on holiday, so I'm doing a pre-record of an episode, a shorter episode about advertising, then we'll be back the following week with a normal show. 